0: I want to just, before we go further this morning, I just just want to express appreciation, thanks uh, to Lisa Seibel and her team for transforming the sanctuary. Can we say thank you for that? Yes. Last night, Pastor Josh and I were in here doing the last thing, which is mounting those, those wreaths up there. We finished and we got back there and we were standing admiring our work and this, this one was about this much lower than that one and I, I told Josh I said Josh if we don't fix it now Judy will have me on the ladder tomorrow morning and so we we're going to have to fix that tonight so we did and so I thank Pastor Josh for being the, the one that climbs the ladder I just gave directions so but thank you for that Over the past two years, we've come through an unprecedented time in the history of our church and all churches in our community. All have experienced some significant challenges, especially related to something called unity. Unity. A lot of things have come into our world to cause division, not only in our churches, but in our community, in our nation. And if you've been in and around church very long, you know there's no such thing as a perfect church. For our first-time guests, I'm sorry to tell you this. You haven't found the perfect church. But we are real. There's no perfect church. Every church has issues or problems, big ones, small ones, relational, operational, even spiritual problems. Of course, that's because churches are, after all, made up of human beings. All the angels... On the outfield. I thought I'd throw that in there. Okay. However, we should be encouraged to know that the church is alive and well. And has actually done very, very well through all the ups and downs. Christianity is still the largest faith or religion in the entire world. But we face challenges. And challenges of all types. Not relegated to this century. They're not just a 21st century phenomenon. The church of Jesus Christ has experienced challenges, unprecedented challenges throughout history. The very first churches in history face challenges. Jesus set up the church to be a body of believers, the church to be unified, to be purified, to be spiritual and effective, loving God, loving people, and being transformed. In spite of that, the church from the very beginning was not perfect then, and it's not perfect today. And we are not so much trying to reach perfection, but trying to be healthy, trying to be a healthy body of believers. And and beyond that, we actually want to be fit as a a body of believers. Well, there's a 2,000-year-old letter that was written to the church right near its beginning, written by the Apostle Paul. And... I felt like I needed to just talk about, as we head into the Christmas season, I felt I needed to talk about unity um, uh, because of what we've been through and where we're headed. We don't know what's going to happen in the next weeks or months. And we desperately need to be unified as a body of believers. And so I wanted to address that today. The Apostle Apostle Paul uses several phrases to, to describe the local church he talks about the local church being the local expression of God's character or God's localized presence in a particular place. Yes, God is everywhere, but he expresses his presence through people. It's through people. When Jesus went out, was on earth, he did all his actions, he did his miracles, his healings, his signs and wonders, his teaching through his physical body to bring people to God. Jesus was God in the flesh. And when he ascended to heaven after the crucifixion and the resurrection, he instituted the next phase of the kingdom of God called the church. The church. The church is Jesus' body, Jesus' physical presence on earth. That's us. That's you. We're his physical presence on earth. And through this physical body, the church, Jesus now does all his actions, his miracles, his healings, his signs and wonders, his teachings in order to bring people into relationship with God. The church is not buildings. The church is people. And of course when you have people you're going to have disagreements. Wherever two or three are gathered together, there reside disagreements. That's a different version of of that. Disagreements cause divisions and now, what I want to do today is look at some of the disagreements in the early church that caused division. And what are some of the disagreements in church today that cause division? And how do we handle disagreements so they don't produce division? That's the question. We're going to agree, disagree over things. Everybody agree? Just checking? Just checking. Okay. Today we're looking at unity in the diversity. Unity. God made us with very much diversity. We're going to say, how do we remain united? So, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 10. I mean, 1. 1 Corinthians 1, uh, verse 10. Starting with verse 10. 1 Corinthians 1. Starting with verse 10. And reading through verse 17. Paul's writing to a church in the city of Corinth. He says, I appeal to you brothers in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? I am thankful that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptized into my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Paul makes it very clear in this passage that he has become aware of divisions or schisms or quarrels or disagreements in the church. The word division literally means tears or cracks. It's a graphic word picture of disagreements tearing the church apart. And I want us to look at what the issues were then and what they might be today. Starting with then. There were evidently four factions in this church four factions. People would say only four? That sounds pretty good Only yeah there are four factions four groups in the community and each group seems to have their own emphasis and their own leader. Now I don't think the leaders uh, that they are named necessarily condone these disagreements but they were using these leaders. Each group followed a leader and seemed to be intolerant or antagonistic to the other three. Good scholarship gives evidence that of what these, these four groups disagreed on. And that's instructive. But much more important than these specific issues is how we deal with disagreements. So that they don't result in division. Let's look at group one. Group one was, is called the Paul group. Paul group. I follow Paul. Okay? This group most likely consisted of charter members. Most likely these were the Gentiles that Paul led to faith in Jesus and started in the church community. If you read the book of Acts, you read where Paul went all throughout the, 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 the known world and he went to the Gentiles to bring the gospel. And Corinth was full of Gentiles primarily. They were the charter members of this church community. These are people from non-religious church backgrounds who experienced God's unconditional love, God's forgiveness and God's grace. And they likely emphasize God's grace and love. Probably God's grace and love. Because of that, they like to celebrate the freedom they had in Christ. And Paul addresses some of these who later were trying to use their newfound freedoms, turning their liberty into license and becoming a stumbling block to other people in their faith journey. Now today we see the same issue. People who like to stress just the grace and love of God which is great, but they do it at the expense of God's holiness or his wrath or his, his justice. People who want to emphasize forgiveness, but not repentance. Liberty, but not law. Now, in the 1970s, I was at a, at a conference in Dallas, Texas and called Explo 72. And, and there was a cult. We found out later it was a cult. It was called the Children of God and I ran into a young woman who was recruiting people for this group and she sounded like a a really good Christian but as we talked I noticed she had this overemphasis on forgiveness and love and I learned later that the Children of God cult promoted communal living with free love and free sex among members they called it love and they said we just love everybody and God forgives us well you can see there's, there's a problem there emphasizing love but not righteousness. Yes, God forgives, but we cannot use it as an excuse to sin. And I've had people in, in past ministry contexts who've urged me to, to emphasize God's forgiveness, but don't talk about God's demands, okay? That's, that doesn't make us feel very good. There has to be a balance. That was the Paul group. They were emphasizing grace and love at the expense of righteousness and, and uh, God's demands. It has to be a balance. Then there was the Apollos groups, as I I follow Apollos. Apollos was known as a powerful preacher, described in the book of Acts as being eloquent and mighty in scriptures. And this faction may have been enamored with his wisdom and began to emphasize wisdom and intellect. Most likely this group emphasized Christianity as an intellectual faith. An intellectual faith. Christian belief is intelligent and it's intellectual, but it's far more than just information. It's got to go beyond just information and intellect. We have people today for whom their faith is more of a, an intellectual assent to a group of propositions and doctrines rather than a, and a set of beliefs. It's all mental, but there's no emotion or no passion. Okay, That might have been the Apollos group. Then there's the, the Peter group. I follow Cephas. Most likely, this group consisted of converted Jews, Jewish converts to Christ. They had... Deep roots in Judaism. They were steeped in it. They were steeped in monotheism, which was really a big deal. They were also, they were also steeped in legalism. Legalism. They may have felt that all new believers, they, they emphasized rules and regulations. Okay? Rules and regulations. They may have felt that all new believers should be circumcised and live under the custom and law of Moses. This is a, a legalized faith. For these, faith consisted in what they don't do and what they do. That list of rules and regulations. And you have to ask the question, and many of us grew up in different church contexts, we're caught up in legalism, defining faith by what we do and what we don't do. And you can tell who's in and who's out by what they do and what they don't do. Okay? That's legalism. They would love the what would Jesus do all the time? And always looking at what is Jesus, you know. We're looking at what we do. No, it's much more than that. Then we have the fourth group, the Christ Christ group. I follow Christ. Of course, don't we all? This is, this was kind of a mystery. But what we can see, the mention of the Christ party suggests that this group thought they had some special relationship to Jesus that other people did not have. Or they had the correct emphasis the other groups didn't. There was this exclusiveness or, or spiritual pride. I'm with the Christ group. This emphasis is probably experiential faith. Is Christianity experiential? Absolutely. Must be. But it's more than just experience or emotions. And by the context of the rest of 1 Corinthians. These people may have been the ones who had the gifts of prophecy and tongues. And elevated tongues as the highest of all gifts. So you got to. There's a reason, there's a cultural reason for that. They emphasized experience, saying experience was the most important part of their faith, tendency towards emotions. Okay? Now, when you look at that, everybody had a part of truth. You look around today, we have churches and groups of churches, even whole denominations, built on one of these four emphases. Groups who emphasize their freedoms, love, and grace, and look down on those who don't dare to be free. Groups who emphasize the intellect and look down their noses at any display of experience or emotional spirituality. Legalists whose rules and regulations are equal to or even supersede scripture. And experientialists who say that you have to have the same experience that I had with God or you've not really arrived. Okay, It's got to look like what I experienced. Do you see the problem? There's one emphasizing God's grace and unconditional acceptance and forgiveness... One emphasizing the intellect and probably putting down the emotional part of faith. Legalists who measure spiritual life by externals. And experientialists and emotionalists who think everybody has to have the same experience with God that they did. Sound familiar? Every faction has a portion of the truth claiming to be the exclusive right ones. Do you remember the story of the four blind men who were asked to describe an elephant? You heard this. Four blind men were asked to describe an elephant. So this, the first blind man grabbed the trunk of the elephant and said, Oh, an elephant is like a thick snake. Okay? The other one at the other end grabbed the tail. and he said, An elephant is like a thin rope. Another one grasped the ear and says, Wow, this is like a, a large tree leaf. Another one grabbed the trunk, or, or grabbed the leg and says, This is like the trunk of a tree. Four blind men describing an elephant. Now, each of them described what an elephant was like, and they were all right. All were describing a part of the whole. It was their part, of course. Part of the sum total of something larger than any of them really could describe. Well, our understanding of Christianity is larger than any of us can adequately describe or experience. And since each church is based on their experience of the elephant and not the whole. Sometimes we describe, this is what I've experienced. This has to be what you have instead of realizing my experience and my understanding may be a little different. Well, that was then. What about today? What issues are raised in the church about which we disagree and allow to divide us? I know it would be easier to describe the one or two things we agree on, probably, but we're going to look at just four things today about disagreements. First one today, doctrinal differences. Doctrine is what we believe about God, the truth, the Bible, and spiritual things. Now, when we talk about doctrine, we have, to, we have to divide it into two categories, essentials and non-essentials. Essentials would be having to do with biblical, absolute, and absolute truths. These are truths that are timeless. They, they cover history and they cover time all of time. They don't change with the culture. They're as applicable 2,000 years ago as today. These are the truths that have stood the test of time and are considered essential to Orthodox Christianity. What are some of these essentials? You'll find what we believe in our statement of faith. Most of them are essentials on our website. Some of them would, would be uh, more flexible. First one is the Bible is the inspired, infallible, authoritative word of God. There's one source of truth and it's the infallible word of God, the Bible. There's one God existing in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The deity of Jesus Christ. His virgin birth, his life, miracles and teaching. The death, burial and resurrection and ascension. The story of Jesus and what he accomplished, who he was. That's, that's non-negotiable. That's an essential. That mankind is fallen. The only means of salvation from sin and eternal death is through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the only way. I am am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So those are non-negotiables. Character of God as described in the Ten Commandments and expanded by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus moved the Ten Commandments from external observable actions to internal heart issues. Attitude, desires, thoughts, and intentions. Now, those are just some of the essentials that we cannot compromise lest we take the heart out of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those are biblical absolutes or absolute truths. And when it comes to those kinds of things, there's a a scholar named Norman Geisler. He was talking about inerrancy and the authority of scripture. He said, I would rather be divided by truth than united in error. I'd rather be divided by truth than united in error. And he's speaking of the inerrancy of the scripture in their their original autographs. Essentials. So there are some things that we have to hang on to that are essentials. Now, then there are non-essentials. We call them non-essentials. In other words, these are not essential for salvation. These are truths that most of us hold on to just as tenaciously. And while admitting we may have part of the truth, it's important we have a stand on every one of these issues but we need to be willing to admit we may be touching part of the elephant one part of the whole 1 Corinthians three, 13 12 says now we see a poor reflection as in a mirror now I know in part none of us has a corner on the truth there are some things we just don't know for sure and it's important that we admit that what are some of those non-essentials things that we disagree with and we don't let them divide well let's take end times theology end times theology some read the, the book by Hal Lindsey, The Late Great Planet Earth, or Left Behind book series, and, and we're all convinced we know exactly how history is going to end. Okay? I wish I knew too. We don't always know. Other, others believe there's more symbolism that we can't put in, everything in from Daniel and Revelation, and we can't put it in this nice, nice, neat system. And people are all over the map on that. And is it essential for salvation that we have exact handle on end times? No. And whether you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, mid-tribulation rapture, post-tribulation rapture, the fact remains, we're going to all go up at the same time. Okay? No matter what we believe, God has a plan. Disagree. It's okay. I have very good friends, people in my family. We disagree over some of the issues of end times theology. Good. Don't be divided. Just admit it. Okay? Another one is the security of the believer. Can a person once saved then possibly go lost? If we choose to stay connected to Christ, no one can take your relationship away. But I believe still we retain free will and we can give up something if we so choose. Others disagree. Is that an essential belief? We disagree. That's okay. Don't let it divide. Here's a big one. Baptism. Everybody does it different. What is the deal? Lutherans, Presbyterians, Catholics baptize infants, believe it's a means of grace for salvation. We typically here baptize someone after they've made a profession of faith, but we also baptize infants. Okay? We're really messed up here in the Westland Church. Just saying. No, there, we have a, a lot more openness to differences in that. Some do infant dedication, some do infant baptism. There are subtle nuances of infant baptism that is entry into the covenant relationship that needs to be renewed at the age of accountability. And depending on how you were raised and what your theological background is, any one of those can be your belief and we're going to say those are non-essentials. In other words, we don't have to agree on every one of those things. Okay, That's one of those. We agree, we disagree. Don't let it divide. Okay. Um, there's gifts of the Holy Spirit. Some believe prophecy, tongues, and interpretation of tongues passed away, they're not for the church today. That's what some churches believe. Do I condemn them? No, I disagree with them because I believe all spiritual gifts are in operation in the church today. How they're manifested and used in churches are different in every, every kind of church you can imagine. The scriptural base is what we look at. Disagree. Don't let it divide. There's a lot of diversity Sometimes we are divided by doctrinal differences. Chrysostom said this, In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, charity. In all things, Jesus Christ. Unity in the essentials. Tolerance in the non-essentials. Those are doctrinal differences. Then we have cultural differences. Cultural differences are sometimes harder to deal with. We have different ways of interacting with people those will be social social differences different ways of interacting with people different ways of dealing with each occasion i'll give you an example some are invited to a picnic and they come dressed in the latest picnic wear okay others come dressed in cutoffs and a tank top okay some will come to a banquet it's got you're coming to a banquet some will come in formal wear others will come in their best jeans whether it's weddings or whatever social norms when getting together for a social occasion the question ladies always ask first is since we're men they always ask for us uh, what is everybody wearing what is everybody wearing how would I know I haven't seen it yet I haven't been there yet what what do you how am I supposed to tell you what everybody's wearing sounds like a dumb question who can predict what everybody will be wearing but there's this expectation of social gatherings Do we gather together those we most closely identify with at the expense of the unity of the body? Something that's very natural to do, the church. So, social differences. Then there are economic differences, very closely related. In the early church, they had wealthy and they had the poor. They had free men and they had slaves. How do we address economic differences? Do they divide us? Do we allow them to divide us? You go into the average church parking lot anywhere in town and you'll find Mercedes and SUVs, a Tesla, expensive imports, all American pickups, new cars, used cars, some junkers that usually belong to college students. That's what you find. All kinds of different ex- socioeconomic expressions of who we are. By the way, we are not what we drive, just so you know that. Okay. Then there are age life situations. Senior adults have very different needs than young marrieds. Single parents face different challenges that Couples with teenagers. Teenagers have different needs than preschoolers. And you've got empty nesters and builders and boomers and busters and Gen X and millennials and Gen Z. All kinds of different things in church. And say, these are differences. Do we let them divide us or do we go beyond that? We have old timers, newcomers, long time Christians, seekers, new believers. We need all these generations and we need all age life situations. The question is, how do we deal with the differences does it unite us or divide us then there are religious or church differences Eau Claire Wesleyan church is made up of some lifelong Wesleyans okay and people from many different backgrounds some of you are still wondering what's a Wesleyan some of you don't know how to spell it yet that's okay I I get people confused I say I'm the pastor of Eau Claire Wesleyan church Eau Claire is hard enough to spell Okay, just say that. You add Wesleyan on, it's like how do you how do you spell that? And it's like my last name. It's you know, it's just I'm spelling all the time, either where I work or where I live, or yeah, my last name. To some, when we're talking about worship, spiritual worship is quiet and solemn. Quiet and solemn. This is deep worship. They they view emotionalism as shallow and trite. Others. To others, worship is full of life, energy, dancing and clapping, and it's noisy. They would view quiet worship as unspiritual, shallow and boring. It's not more or less spiritual. It's different cultures. Now, I don't know if you've ever gone to visit other church cultures. Uh, go to a traditional African American church sometime. Uh, when Judy was in college in Seattle Pacific University, she was a music director and organist at at an African American church in downtown Seattle. She has stories. I mean, she was the only blonde person in the whole place. It It was quite an amazing experience because their worship experience, what they did was totally different. They have what's called call and response. So when the soloist sings, the soloist sings and the choir answers, or the people answer. The preacher will say something and people answer back. You know, I'd say, stop interrupting me. I'm, you know, But it's a call and response. That's their culture of worship experience. That's how they do that. Different cultures. There was a man who went to heaven and was given a newcomer tour by St. Peter. And as they walked down the golden streets, they passed several large buildings with windows open to the street. The first building they passed there was praise and worship with loud music, clapping hands obviously demonstrative and exciting Peter said that's where the Pentecostals and Charismatics are Next they passed a building where the worship was even more lively you could hear call and response of the people it was very engaged Peter said that's where the Church of God and Christ worship Next they passed a building and heard this great pipe organ and congregation singing Reformation hymns and Peter identified them as the Lutherans then they came to this huge wall and Peter asked the man to be very quiet. He said, just be very quiet. Over the wall, he heard people singing the great hymns of the faith and Bill Gaither songs. And Peter said, on the other side of the Baptists, they think they're the only ones up here. You can tell that with any denomination you want. That's okay. Then there are personal differences. Our own priorities, our own personal tastes, our agendas and preferences. This is where things can get really complicated. Not that we shouldn't have differences. How do we deal with the differences so they don't cause division? Usually, the problems that we have are not the real problem. Sometimes it's just, I didn't get my way. I want my way. Disagreements, division. Proverbs 22 says, drive out the mocker and out goes strife. Quarrels and insults are ended. Don't mock, don't make fun, don't do anything. It can can cause division. You will never agree with everything that happens in any church, including this church. The question is not, do we have disagreements? The question is, how do we handle disagreements so as to keep the unity and maximize our mission to bring people to Jesus Christ. Very quickly, five steps to handle disagreements. How do we handle disagreements? First of all, pray. Pray. Take it to God. Many disagreements would never be problematic if the first thing we did was pray and say, God, you know, I have this disagreement. What do you want me to do about it? Secondly, identify the real issue. There's something that bothers you, something you have a disagreement with, something Is it just my way or is it a doctrinal issue? Is it a cultural issue? Is it a personal issue? After you identify that, then evaluate its importance. Is this an essential doctrinal issue? If this is an essential doctrinal issue that you disagree with in a particular church, you may need to look for a church, a different church. And I'll say that. Different one to church. The color of the carpet in the sanctuary is not an essential doctrinal issue. But the church's stand on marriage. Yes. It is. There are some real important issues. Evaluate its importance. Letter D. Seek counsel. When I say seek counsel, I'm not saying find a group of people who agree with you in order to join in your complaint. <laughs> okay? That's not what I'm talking about. Our tendency is to find others who feel the same way in order to bolster our feelings or reinforce our position. Then disagreements become divisions. Tears become cracks. Paul was never calling for uniformity of thought, but oneness of spirit. Unity in the diversity. Oneness in the midst of differences. Then if you've prayed, identified the real issue, decided it's important sought counsel, then speak directly to the person concerned. If you are aware of differences it can lead to division... Talk to the other person. Agree to disagree. Don't let differences fester. If you are at odds with something leadership does in a church, bring the issue to the open by speaking to them. And after speaking your opinion, leave it there. Allow God to do the work. And I will say this because I've been on all sides of, of disagreements and conversations. Just because the leadership does not do what you think they should, don't think they didn't listen. Sometimes they listen. They just had to disagree. Roman numeral three. Remember. Jesus Christ has one body. One body. Only one. Only one. One family. We can have family disagreements. But never say. I'm going to leave. And find another family. We are always part of that family. Sometimes we may be estranged. In conflict. But we're one family. Resolve the issues. I'm just gonna. I want. I want to talk about something. That, and I want. I want to compliment you all. Okay, the last two years we've been through issues that could have been hugely problematic and causing disagreements. And we all have disagreements, but we didn't let it cause division. That was it. Going through the pandemic, we had people on both sides of the mask issue, the vaccine issue how we should do this, how we should do that. And we're reading different media, different things, all kinds of disagreements that has divided our country. And and that's not over. I mean, there's still this ongoing thing. And I just want to encourage you to continue, continue to stay in unity, whether you have agreements or disagreements. Because we are one body in Christ. And we are to be united, united in Christ. Okay? will never agree. You, some of you have disagreements with your family members and people here, people you work with, whatever. In the body of Christ, be united, be united. Galatians 3.27 says this. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. When I shared this verse about a year ago, I said, we're not going to cause division over anything. I said, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, vaccinated or unvaccinated. We are one. One. In Christ. In Christ. Okay? Don't let anything divide us. Celebrate the diversity. Work for unity. And I want to thank you all for staying in unity. Because unity in the middle of diversity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I I thank you for how this congregation has navigated difficult times, disagreements, and stayed in unity. And I just pray, God, that as we move forward, we will continue to be one in Jesus Christ. Father, that you would continue to build us up in the faith Father, we thank you for the hope that's in Jesus. And I pray that our focus would be in Jesus Christ. As we enter this incredible season when you came as a baby. And I just pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give us your unity in the faith. And we thank you in Jesus' name.